This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. So good morning, First Pres. I'm uh, thrilled to be with you. If you have a copy of God's Word, if you would open that to Luke chapter 24, we're going to be reading together verses 36 to 49. Luke 24, beginning at verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they had saw a spirit. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, <coughs> that it is myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it, and he ate it before them. He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understanding the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witness of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before your word, and Lord, we recognize that what is proclaimed here is a mystery. Our experience is that when someone dies, they don't come back. And yet, Scripture testifies to this miraculous happening on many events. We see it um, with the prophets of old. We see it with Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And yet all of those pale in comparison to what we read here this morning. Because all of those only died again. But Jesus Christ rose from the dead never to die again. And Lord, it's that truth this morning that captures our hearts. Lord, I pray that while these things may be hard for our finite minds to grasp, that we would hold these truths, believe these truths, and be transformed by these truths. God, I pray that you would help us to have a desire, Lord, not only to hear your word, but to believe your word. And Lord, that we pray that this morning that by hearing and believing, we would be changed. I pray, Lord, for my words that I would not say anything more nor less than you've given me to say, but God, I pray that I would be faithful to your word, trusting that you will do your perfect work in and amongst us, Lord. We look to the power of your word and spirit this morning. 
pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. I don't know about you, but growing up, I specifically enjoyed pro wrestling. Any other pro wrestling fans in the house? There's something about pro wrestling. It's really all set up by the entrance. You knew the good guys from the bad guys by the way they entered the ring. In fact, oftentimes there was music playing in the background. There might be fog. There might be smoke. There might be even uh, uh, all types of fire and, and all kinds of crazy things going on. And the bigger the stage front, the bigger the entrance, the more you recognize that the person you're watching is a big deal. As a kid, I was fascinated by pro wrestling. I already said that. But I want you to grasp that for a minute. I don't just mean I was interested. I was, I was captivated by it. I wanted to become a pro wrestler. I kind of laugh now looking at the stature of my height. But in my mind, I thought this could be the greatest thing in the world. And my friends and I, we, we set up a ring in the backyard. And we, we were all set to go. But the most important thing to us wasn't even the antics inside the ring. It was the entrance. We all began to think about what was our entrance going to be like? What music would we play? How would we enter to show that we were the biggest show on earth? It was all for entertainment, but it was all about the entrance. History tells us that it's all about the entrance as well. After the bombing of Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941, the Japanese had fixed their eyes on the American-occupied islands of the Philippines. After many months of intense battle and with many of the neighboring strongholds of the Philippines falling, President Roosevelt gave orders to General Douglas MacArthur that he, along with the family members and the staff, were to flee the Philippines. Reluctantly, these orders were followed on March 11, 1942, and soon after fleeing the Philippines, the general vowed these famous words, I shall return. I shall return. Now, true to his word, on October 20th, 1944, General Douglas MacArthur made his big entrance. As the boat arrived and as he got off the boat and as he walked through the waters to the island, he made sure to hit the airwaves by radio and declare, people of the Philippines, I have returned. General MacArthur was making it clear to everyone that he was faithful to his promise. Friends, whether it's entertainment or history, a big entrance is made for a big reason. And the truth is that there was no bigger entrance than the one that Jesus made, saying to his disciples, I want to assure you, I want to reveal some things to you, and I want to send you. Let's take a look at our text. As you look at our text and you see the words begin as they were talking about these things, you have to ask what was going on behind the scene. The disciples had already experienced much commotion and confusion. They were talking about all the things that had happened and they locked themselves together in a room for fear of the Jews. We're told that in John's gospel. 
So what was it that they were talking about? What was the confusion? What was the commotion all about? Surely they were talking about the gruesomeness of the crucifixion, the fact that they could not believe that their Savior had died, that they had laid his body in a tomb, but they were also talking specifically about the empty tomb, an empty tomb that was verified by many as Jesus himself had appeared before two women, as Jesus himself had appeared before two men on the road to Emmaus, as Jesus himself had appeared before Simon Peter. And it was all of that commotion that as they stood there in that locked room, they talked. And what does our text say happened? As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. Jesus made a big entrance. Jesus made sure everyone who was aware, he was there. Notice the gospel writer's words here. Jesus himself stood among them. Why does he add the word himself? What is the gospel writer trying to say? He's trying to say the real physical Jesus. That's who was there amongst them. There was no knocking on the door, even though the door was locked. Jesus was there. He was among them. What an entrance. We can't really take our minds and go to that scene because we weren't there. We didn't see the crucifixion. We didn't see the blood and the gore. We didn't see they lay, him they lay his body in a tomb. We didn't experience Sunday morning when the empty tomb was had. But one thing we know is that the words of Jesus are not just for the disciples, but for us as well. What were those words? Peace to you. Peace to you. Jesus offered peace now in the midst of that locked room, just as he had done before he suffered and died. Friends, I want you to think about that for a moment. Of the very first words Jesus says, he offers peace. And this matches his ministry. Back in John chapter 14, Jesus said, My peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus said that before he ever suffered and died. And yet here and now, after all of that, Jesus is with them, makes an entrance into a locked room, and his first words are, Peace. See, peace was an important word. The disciples knew who they were. They abandoned Jesus. Some of them even denied Jesus. And but here he was, faithful to his name, the Prince of Peace, and he was bringing peace not as the world brings peace, Jesus wasn't just bringing good tidings to his friends and his neighbors. Jesus was bringing peace and hope to sinners. 
to those who knew they actually sinned against him. What amazing words. Peace. But notice Jesus follows those words up in verse 38 with the question, why are you troubled? Why did doubts rise in your heart? He's saying, I'm bringing you peace. Why are you afraid? He's looking at them and saying, don't you know that this is what I already said I would do? Because Jesus knew the doubts in their heart and their great need for peace, he offers assurance and proof of his resurrection. In verse 39, he says, see, take my hands and my feet. He displays before them his glorified body. He displays before them the hands in, in the, in, that had the holes in the feet that had the holes. Now, there was no gruesome blood or bruising. It was a glorified body, but they surely could see he had hung on the tree. See my hands and see my feet. But he yet goes further in verse 39. He says, touch me and see. Touch me. He knows the need for, for assurance that they had. It, it could just be a ghost that we're seeing. Maybe it's just an appearance of some type of phantom. Jesus says, no, touch me. Look what he says in verse 39. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as I have. Touch me, see, feel. He's offering assurance. This entrance was about offering assurance to his disciples. He loved them so much, he wanted them to be assured that he was alive. And yet verse 41 says something astounding. It says, they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. What an odd way to make a statement. What is the writer here trying to get across? That they still disbelieved for joy. St. Augustine, I think, helps us greatly where he says, Within their heart was both rejoicing and doubting at the same time. See, their disbelief was mixed with joy as they marveled what was before them. To say it our way, it was too good to be true. Could Jesus really be resurrected from the dead? Could he really be right here in the locked room with us? Jesus yet takes it farther, still knowing their disbelief. Look what he says in verse 41. 41, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate it before them. Notice the before them. He didn't, he didn't just go into a private room and eat a dinner. He actually wanted to display before them, I'm real. Spirits and phantoms don't do this. Jesus was setting out to prove that he was physically present. What an entrance. And his entrance was to make a scene. It was to offer assurance. Dr. Philip Ryken makes a point here that I believe each of us needs to hear this morning. He says some people believe in the resurrection of the body, but many don't. Some people believe in the resurrection of the body, but many don't. Then he goes on to say, it's Christians who believe. 
Friend, if you're sitting here today and you call yourself a Christian, but you do not accept the physical resurrection of Jesus, know that you're not lined up with the historic church. The historic church does believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. After all, in the Apostles' Creed, which is named after the apostles, the disciples of Jesus, they didn't write it, but it basically taught their doctrine. It was, it was handed down through the church. Listen to what it says. It says in this creed, I believe on the third day he rose again from the dead. The church historically stands that Jesus rose again. If that's true, how should that change us? How should that impact us? So church, I ask you this morning, do you believe? Do you believe in the resurrected body of Jesus? It's an essential truth of the Christian faith. And each and every one of us has to come to terms with, do I believe? Do I believe? Do I believe that Jesus rose from the dead? But Jesus didn't just make an entrance to make clear to assure the disciples. Jesus made his entrance also to reveal the truth of Scripture. Notice what Jesus says in verse 44. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Church, what Jesus is saying is all of the Old Testament was centered upon me and my mission. That's what Jesus is saying. All of the Old Testament, all of the law, all of the prophets, all the writings, they were centered on me and my mission. And what was Jesus' mission? Yes, it was to be the king of glory, but it also was to suffer for sin. See, Jesus had been teaching all along, even before his arrest, that suffering must come. In Luke chapter 9, we're told that Jesus said the Son of Man must suffer many things. He must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. He must be killed And on the third day, he will rise. Notice the connection between suffering and glory. The rising is the glory. The cross is the suffering. Jesus taught this before he was ever taken, ever arrested. Even in Luke 18, as things began to move forward, Jesus got more specific. In verse 32, he said, For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon and flogged, and they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. Notice the specifics that Jesus gives of his suffering. Why? Because people missed it. They missed it. See, everybody wants glory. As a little guy making a ring for wrestling, I wanted glory, but nobody wants suffering. It's true. The Jews of old wanted a Messiah that was full of glory, that would defeat their enemies, that that would show his strength. But they didn't want a suffering servant. Everybody wants glory. 
but nobody wants suffering. And no one wants a hero that suffers. How about you? Do you understand Christ's glory must always follow the shame of the ugly cross? Do you understand that the cross must be the emblem of Christianity? Do you understand that Christ's glory must follow the shame of the ugly cross? Do we understand that suffering is absolutely necessary? For without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. Truth is, in our text, we're not told what Old Testament passages Jesus used to reveal this truth. Maybe Jesus took his disciples through Exodus chapter 12 and talked about the Passover and the blood. Maybe it was Isaiah 52 and 53 where he talked about the suffering servant who would be marred beyond recognition. Or maybe it was Psalm 22 where Jesus sat down with the disciples and he talked about the forsaken one. But all of the Old Testament not only talked about the glory of the Messiah, but the suffering of the Messiah. see, for all they're hearing, they weren't believing. And then comes verse 45, where it tells us Jesus opened their minds to understand Scripture. Friends, you have no idea how beautiful that verse is in Scripture. For apart from the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, none of us would believe. The fact that Scripture clearly tells us that proofs weren't enough. Seeing the physical resurrected body, touching the hands and feet, watching him eat, wasn't enough. They needed their hearts transformed. They needed their minds opened. And praise God, Scripture tells us Jesus sends the Spirit to do that. See, it's with this entrance Jesus offers assurance But Jesus shows the revelations. We're told by Luke that Jesus made his point. Look at verse 46. Jesus said, it was written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Suffering and glory. Suffering and glory. Here he was, physically present overcoming death for his people as the victorious one. And what does Jesus say this means? Look at verse 47. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. Church, that's why Jesus suffered. To cover our sin. So that we would repent and believe. And this message of repentance and forgiveness of sins was to be proclaimed in his name, for he suffered, and he deserves the glory. And it begins right there in that house, that locked room in Jerusalem. So I ask you, church, do you personally understand why Jesus came, why he died, and why he rose again? The whole of Scripture centers on this point. Jesus came to save sinners such as us. Oh, what peace. What hope. What truth. But Jesus didn't just enter to offer assurance. Jesus didn't just enter 
to make revelations. No, Jesus entered to send. Jesus moves from his mission to the disciples' mission. Look at verse 48. You are my witnesses of these things. Jesus is actually saying to the disciples, you're my witnesses of all of this. Jesus made his entrance to assure, to explain, so he could send. And with that mission came absolute resurrection power. Church, hear me this morning. With that mission, he doesn't send us powerless. He sends us full of resurrection power. Note the promise he makes in verse 49. He says, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. Now, what is that promise he's referring to? Well, Luke tells us in the next book, Acts. In Acts 1.8, it reads this way, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the utter ends of the world. Notice the connection of the power and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one whom Jesus promises. The Holy Spirit is the one who assures us of Jesus' peace. The Holy Spirit is the helper whom the Father sends to teach us all things. The Holy Spirit brings to remembrance all that Jesus taught. And church, don't miss this. It's because of the Holy Spirit's coming that Jesus instructs his disciples to stay in the city until they're clothed with that power. The Holy Spirit was going to make fearful men and may fill them with boldness. The Holy Spirit would take fearful men and fill them with boldness. One of the most beautiful changes of that in all of Scripture is Peter. Peter was the one who denied Jesus not just once, not just twice, but three times. Peter's the one who feared for his life. And yet it's this same Peter that after the Spirit's coming in in Acts chapter 2 is empowered with the Holy Spirit to speak boldly. And what does Peter speak? But he proclaims repentance and forgiveness. Listen to Peter's own testimony in Acts chapter 2. Peter's standing in front of all the men of Israel, all the men he feared before. This is what he says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified. And you killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by them. Do you hear the power? The power of a fearful man who's been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. What does he call them to? That same Acts 2 passage in verse 38 we read, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And get this, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter's saying, this is my own testimony. Repent and believe, and the power of the Holy Spirit changes everything. You who are fearful and worried, 
Know that the peace of God transforms. This is the promise. For by the Spirit, we today are also empowered to be his witnesses. We are empowered to enter our cities and proclaim the good news of Jesus. So church, I ask you this morning, what kind of entrance are you going to make for your city in the name of Christ? What kind of entrance are you going to make in your city for the name of Christ? Don't be fearful. Come boldly. You're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit who transforms, who encourages and strengthens and equips. See, church, in this text, we're told of the resurrection appearance. We're told of the biggest entrance in all of time, bigger than any entertainment on television, bigger than anything else in all of history. We're told of the biggest entrance of all time, and it's for a big reason. Because that entrance was to assure us of the physical resurrection of the risen Lord. That entrance was to reveal to us that he came to fulfill all of Scripture. That entrance was to send us out as disciples who were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. The bottom line is every Christian man and woman has been given a divine calling to be a powerful witness for the risen Lord of Jesus Christ. The question is, what are we doing with it? What are we doing with this power, with this calling, with this name called Christians? Church, may we seek to share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone. Why, you ask? Because he's risen. Praise God. He's risen indeed. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would take a bunch of fearful disciples like ourselves and through the empowerment of your Holy Spirit, as you equip us with the teachings of Scripture and the confidence of the risen Lord, that we would boldly proclaim your name, that we would faithfully call sin and sinners to repentance, and that, Lord, we ourselves would be believing. God, use your church and Lord, I know that that starts with revival. And that revival starts with us individually. I pray that this Resurrection Sunday would be the beginning for each and every one of us to live out our faith more boldly. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would declare the resurrected Christ. God, do even better than we know how to pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.